What are we gonna do? I'm gonna ask you some questions. You're gonna answer some questions for me. I'm gonna interview you. In the new one, no. Uh -uh. Introduce yourself in the language. Can you do that for me, please? No, he did quite a new one. Nyagad Luther Garado Nukarad Wen Yatipavana. My name is uh, Luther Garado. Uh, one of the elders of the Kwaisu tribe, and I speak the Kwaisu language fluently, and I'm the last male speakers of the Kwaisu tribe. Do you think I'll be fluent one day? Yeah, <laughs> you'll get there. I, I, I won't be the fluent speaker. I, some of it I just don't get. I'm just like, oh, I know this and it just rattles around in my head. And I used to have this big dictionary roll around in my head, didn't know how the pieces would go together. Now I have all the pieces to go together and I can't stick them together because it's still rattling around in my head. Does that make sense? Welcome to Language Keepers, Emergence Magazine's six-part journey into the struggle for indigenous language survival in California. I'm Emmanuel Vaughn Lee, executive editor of Emergence Magazine, located on the unceded ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people of present-day Marin County. This podcast series is a continuation of Language Keepers, Emergence Magazine's award-winning multimedia story where we explored the current state of four different indigenous California languages and how dedicated families and communities are facing the challenges of revitalizing some of the most vulnerable languages in the world. In 2019, our filmmaking team, led by director Adam Lofton, crisscrossed California, witnessing the language revitalization efforts of Talawadaini, Kuruk, Wukchumni, and Kawaiasu communities. This critical work is more important than ever, as the dwindling number of last remaining fluent speakers document and impart their cultural and traditional knowledge to the next generation of language keepers. recording is from disc number 24-37. ni Tribes and cultures that are working to awaken a sleeping language are often dependent on a very limited linguistic documentation. And even this does not always exist. Bodega Miwok, Session 2, March 18, 1974. 
Now, did you get words what you wanted to know? How to pronounce it? I, I wanted to ask you some more words, though. Oh, okay. How about the uh, I forget? Kamanai. Kamanai. Kamanai? Yes, I don't remember. Kamanai Oko. These language hunters must often dig through tribal and academic archives, searching for pieces of the language in order to remember what has been forgotten. How would you say, uh, don't, don't forget me? Don't forget me. When they leave or something like that, they used to say that to mother and father. Don't forget me. Some tribes have never had the opportunity to hear fluent speakers or speakers of any kind and are wholly dependent on the written documentation created by non-native ethnographers and linguists from the 19th and 20th centuries within the Americas. This documentation is often in English or Spanish, and a deep understanding of linguistics can be needed to decipher them. Those who are fortunate enough to have audio recordings may have no one to ask the countless questions that naturally arise, like why certain words are used, or when, and where the recording took place. There is no more valuable resource to language revitalization than a fluent speaker, but one single speaker cannot fully embody an entire language. The complex dimensionality of language is held within the subtleties of conversation, perspective, and experience. Each speaker has a unique expression and understanding. The relationship between these varied expressions is what makes a language come alive. Currently, in many indigenous communities, there is a race against time to witness and document as many of these last speakers as possible. Julie Turner is driven by this urgency and has dedicated the last 17 years to recording and translating as much of the Kawaiasu also known as the Nua language, as she can, from her father, Luther Garado, and her aunt, Lucille Garado Hicks, Kawaiasu's last remaining fluent speakers. Each conversation she documents reveals new depths of the language, unlocking nuances that will aid future generations of Kawaiasu language speakers. Okay, you can answer me in English now, okay? So, um, so is when do you realize you were going to be the last uh, male fluent speaker of our language? Up to about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Never, it didn't think of it, didn't Never think about that before, huh? Does it make you sad? Does it make you, you know, how no, does it make you? I don't feel sad. I wish there were more, you know, as it was just me and Lucille, uh -huh. you know. I wish there was more, but there isn't, so we just have to live with what we got. For the last 17 years, Julie Turner has been documenting her father, Luther Garado Hicks, and her aunt, Lucille Garado Hicks, the last remaining fluent speakers of the Kawaiasu language. What do you think about us doing a documentation of our language? Are we pesty? I think it's real good that we're doing what uh -huh. we're doing, you know. In fact, all the stuff that we do, you know, our classes and stuff like that, you know, it's better to do that than just sit at home and 
wishing, wishing that this should have did this, should have yeah. did that, but it's not like that. Yeah. Um, you're uh, actually out doing stuff, you know. Julie, now 53, has filmed, recorded, transcribed, and translated thousands of hours of Kawaiasu stories, songs, and conversations so that even after her father and aunt are gone, people will have the resources to learn their language. So, growing up, uh, who spoke the language to you? Who did you get to talk to? Who spoke it to me? Yeah, who did you get to talk to growing up as a kid? All my relatives, you know, all my aunts and uncles and grandmas, mother and father. I had a lot of teachers. Grandpa talked nasty, though. He'd he'd give you the nasty words. (laughs) When I went to school, I could barely speak English, you know. And that's where I picked up all my English in school. It was in school? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did, did Grandma know some English? Yeah, they all knew Eng- they did. parts of English, not much, you know. Mm-hmm. They always talked Indian, mm-hmm. you know. I learned a little bit growing up. I heard it. I've heard it my whole life. Uh, my aunties would come down and bring my grandma, my dad's sisters and his mother, Gladys, and they would speak in the language because their English wasn't all that great. They would talk about stuff they didn't want us to know about, so they'd do it in Nua. When um, I was little, I got, I got sick. I remember being sick. My grandma was there, my grandma Gladys. She would rub my stomach, and my grandma was very religious. And uh, she would pray, and she would pray in, in our language. And she'd go, Jesus. <laughs> that was my favorite part. And she would uh, she would pray and tell 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 him to take my pain away. And I didn't know what she was saying, but I always felt better after she was done. I couldn't have been more than, I don't know, maybe five or six. I knew a few animal words growing up. I can remember asking dad how to say dog and horse. You know, I was pesty. It's like, how do you say this and how do you say that? I always wanted to learn, but, you know, just life in general, I moved away and really didn't start learning more words until 2003 when some of my cousins approached my Aunt Lucille about teaching language classes. Yeah, Dad and I have been doing it consistently since then. Dad is 78 in March. He's our last male fluent speaker. And Aunt Lucille is our last female fluent speaker. My Aunt Betty passed away 2014 and uh, we just got through doing a project where we recorded 60 hours of conversation between the three of them. When she passed, it was like this big hit in the face of, you know, if we hadn't done that, you know, if we would have waited, we wouldn't have got that. When did you really start 
doing the documentation with your dad and your auntie? Um, well, we started in 2003, probably August or September. I <laughs> had these big boxes delivered to my house, and I'm opening them up, and there's this little, looked like a little spaceship, and it was, I think it was called an iMac. I go, hey, where's the rest of the computer? And I always had a PC, and I'm like, where's the tower? And they go, oh, that's it. And I'm like, mm, okay. And I open up the box, and there's a direct-to-CD recorder, and there's a video camera, and I'm like, oh, what the hell am I supposed to do with this stuff? I didn't know how to do a Word document, an Excel spreadsheet. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So I had to learn how to do all that stuff first before um, anything else. So I think our first video was uh, right down here at the bottom of the hill, Dad's Hill, was our, our Hakapani story. Hakapani is our, our boogeyman. My son and my nieces were here, and my sister and her boyfriend, his girls, and so we built a fire down there, and everybody stood around it. And I had a coyote pelt that Dad had given me for Christmas one year, and I put that on him, and that was our first video. The more I learned, the better my projects got. Was it difficult to learn all of these things? Um, no, because I was really interested in it. I, I guess the more interested you are in something, the faster you're going to learn. I spent a lot of time behind a camera in front of the computer those first several years. It was important for me to do it because, you know, I planned on doing a whole lot of uh, videos and CDs, and I wanted to do the editing myself. I didn't want to have to wait for them to do it. Plus, it was our, our language, and I thought it was important for us to be doing that. I'm beginning to reach you, and I said, Hansun Garcia's Karanam, who said, Eddie and Vidal, he said, some Karanam, Eater Okwedam. So, Eddie, 78, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, to be speaking my language today, it's very important, because that's who I am. I'm 100% Native American, so is my brother. And to be able to share that with you or anybody, and when they know that, that you're Native American, oh, do you speak your language? Yes, I do. What do you, can you say something? I said, yes. So I usually tell them, how are you? Where do you live? Where do you come from? What is that? And I told them, oh, that's so beautiful. But it's something that, that we, him and I carry that's so natural to us. And it, it makes me feel good to, to, to be able to do that, you know, and makes me proud of my nation, my language, and who I am today. I'm Samanivanda, Christina. It's an awesome feeling to know that whatever they're talking about at that particular moment, we're documenting. When I see the dictionary that we have that Dr. Zygmunt had done, I can't ask 
that person that he got that information from, how do you say this? You know, what does this mean? With dad and the aunties, I can. And they're real responsive and they'll answer my questions. And I was like, I already told you that. But you know, I only know what I can ask them. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this. We might be up at Berkeley researching their archives to piece it together because we didn't have any speakers. They're real willing to work and it's, it's just, it's a privilege to be able to do it with them. We're here for, to, to uh, help them on their journey into to the world of their ancestors and, and learn everything that, that she can learn from us, you know, and, and that's why my brother and I are here and, and willing to, to share our time and do that. We have our language pods three Fridays a month. Been the same people for a very long time. We invite anybody. Anybody that wants to learn our language is more than welcome to come to our classes. We don't care if you're white, blue, purple, or green. That's what Dad says. ET, that's the heat. Laura Grant, she comes and she helps me with topics and things like that because she's learned the language really well. I mean, she's just like, how'd you do that? You watch somebody one and you see Yeah, we tease each other a lot. Nobody gets away with anything. We've known each other for a long time, all of us. There's my husband, David. He's been exposed to it for as long as we've been together. Brandy's my cousin. And then John Hammond's fifth generation from Tatchby. We're more family than the class. A lot of tribes, if you're non-native, they don't want you listening to their language or their traditions. Or they're not interested at all, and that's fine too, but no, we don't care. What is this? <laughs> yeah, my father and his parents, they did not want to share the language like we're sharing it at this time with everybody. Are you kidding? They would not want to see that camera. You couldn't even step on that property. They'd be throwing rocks at you. And like me, I was like that because I didn't think anybody was interested. You know, and then the more I talked to people, then it's, I just kind of opened up, well, why not? Why not teach them what I know? They're called And that makes me so proud that we will be able to leave that to whoever wants to learn. What's this? Language and culture go hand in hand. Language is our identity as a native person or an indigenous person, not just native. That's who I am, that's my identity. I might not be a fluent speaker, but I'm native. My grandson's eight, my granddaughter's four. And it's really hard, you know, juggling the time between all of them. 
My motivation now is mostly them because whatever I'm learning, I'm sharing with them. And the more I learn, the more they learn. What's that? He barks. Woof, woof. Focus. Yeah. Focus, huh? This last project we're working on, it was just, we've learned a lot. It's been, if we'd have done this in the beginning, we'd be so much further ahead. But I spent too much time behind the camera and on the computer and not paying attention to what I was hearing and to improve my speaking skills. I used to get maybe one or two words every 20 or 30th word, and now it's a lot more. I understand a whole lot more, but when it's rolling around in my head, I can think it, but by the time it comes out my mouth, it's just twisted. And if someone asks me, oh, how do you say this? And I can shoot from the hip and it's okay, but if, if I got a table full, I got my elders sitting there, my dad, my auntie, cousins, everybody, and they're all looking at me and I'm like, uh, I forget. <laughs> I forget how to say it. Some of them are hard. You gotta roll your tongue, you gotta have a lot of spit in your mouth. And yeah, they're really hard. Did you ever think that this was gonna become your life's work? It's a never-ending cycle. We have enough work to, we probably have enough work to keep us busy for the next 10 years if we stopped recording today. The project we're working on now is transcribing recorded conversation of my dad and his sisters. One minute of conversation takes one hour to complete. That is importing it, segmenting each person's voice, giving the meaning for the pieces, and then getting the free translation. So that takes an hour for one minute of conversation. Mani na ka. To do like you do like this. Do it like this. Do it like this. So if you're showing me how to stir it or or sew it, you're telling me. Mani na ka, you say. That means you do it. You said you. You didn't put you in the beginning. See, that's why I would say, you don't want to say that, you just want to say. Say money not come. Yeah, that's exactly. what I was asking. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah, I was saying. Yeah. I don't need to put him mm, in the no, front no, of No, 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 you just said money. Because it sounds funny. Yeah, well, you could say, uh, uh, telling you, I'm going to tell you, in money not come, it's just you. And I'll be telling you, Julie, I'll be showing you something. Julie, this you have to do like okay. this. And that's the same thing. But I don't have to you say don't it if I don't want to. to. Okay. No, when you say money not come, you say, money not come. We want them to know and say, this is what my dad spoke, this is what my auntie spoke. This is a language, this is how they would say that. I'm going to tell a story. That's what my dad used to tell me as a child. I'm, I'm able to share that to you in my language. If our language wasn't spoken, it would be so sad because it puts that tribe asleep to the side. That's all they see is the name, and that's it. It's like it died, just like I'm going to die someday, and that language is going with me. That's the way that is. It'll be never heard. And that's, that's really sad because, you know, I'm sure the younger generation, they don't want that. You know, that's why they're doing what they are doing today. They don't want that to die. They want to keep carrying on the best they can and however they can do it. 
I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of those elders and the people that brought my brother and I to this point of our life, to where we still remember. I don't know who's going to make the pearly gates first, but I, I hope it's me. We're going to be here a long time. Yeah, that's going to be long. You're going to be here till you're over 100. You two, me, and you and Uncle, you're both the same. I said, mm -hmm. there won't be no dirt here. We'll still be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you think um, that with all the documentation that we've done, um, videos and audio CDs and lesson plans, the language will survive? Yeah. Think so? Yeah. Well, we're dead and gone. You guys can continue teaching it, you know. I like to say everybody's speaking it, even the younger generation. Now, we ain't gonna be here, you know. Yeah. Somebody has to carry on. Yeah, because, you know, we're on the endangered list of being extinct. Yeah. And that was back from the 90s. I wrote them and told them, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going anywhere. So does it, do I ever drive you crazy asking you the same question over and over again? No. No? no. I, <laughs> I think that's what I'm there for. You know, so yeah. If you ask me, how does this say this right? Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah. Or am I saying this right? Or how do you say that? You know. <laughs> how, how else are you going to learn? That's true. You that's know. true. Tad always teases me. I'm going to be on my deathbed, and you'll be going, how do you say that again? Can you say it one more time? <laughs> so I'm like, all I need is a thumb drive. I'm going to stick it in your ear and download everything, and then I won't have to ask you any more questions. And then uh, and I'd explain what a thumb drive was. <laughs> like, what's that? You know, we've done all the footwork for everybody. We've done all the hard stuff. As long as Daddy wants to do it, I'll keep doing it. Uh, when he's done, I'm done. And I'm gonna pass it on to someone else. But um, if dad walked up to me today and says, I'm done, I'm tired of looking at you people, I'm over it. All right, we're done. Anybody can come in behind us, pick up anything that we've made and learn. It'll always be here, but maybe in a different form. Language Keepers is produced in partnership with Advocates for Indigenous California Language Survival. You can experience video introductions and accompanied biographies of the voices you hear at languagekeepers.us. Acknowledging the original Indigenous inhabitants of the land you live on is a key step towards healing the legacy of colonization. You can do this by visiting native-land.ca or downloading the Native Land app developed by Native Land Digital. This episode is directed, produced, and edited by Adam Lofton. It's produced and narrated by Emmanuel Vaughn Lee. Original music by Matthew Atticus Berger and H. Scott Salinas. Narration is written by Adam Lofton, Chelsea Steinauer Scudder, and Emmanuel Vaughn Lee. Sound mix and design is by D. Chris Smith. Sound recording is by Ben Solitiano, with additional production support from Devin Talaton. Language Keepers would not have been possible without the collaboration and support of the Talawa Dene, Karuk, Wukchumni, 
and Kawaiasu communities featured in this podcast. Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Kalyapea Foundation. Our original essays, films, in-depth interviews, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. To subscribe to our newsletter and check out more of our stories, visit emergencemagazine.org.